technical or software engineers have great capability to be able to increase efficiencies through software development, but actually applying that clinically is is really difficult to do because there's ways in which we have to do things as a healthcare professional to provide a service. Hello and welcome back. And for this episode, we return to the world of health technology. And before we go into it, let me start with a little story. So a lot of you who are familiar with Medic Footprints will know that as part of our premium membership with Medic Footprints, we offer one-to-one mentoring with doctors who are in career change and transition. So basically we have a call, video call. I listen and understand you know, the common challenges that doctors face in that call. So we focus on career, health, and I use my occupational health kind of mindset to delve into those. And then I provide my mentees with clarity on their best next steps. So there are a lot of doctors who aren't really clear as to where to go. They know they want to move. They don't know how to get there or even how to start. And then I signpost them to relevant services, if it's CV interviewing stuff, or I use my network. So I basically make introductions to people that will be of value in their next steps. Oh, and if you're listening and that sounds like it could be for you, just go to medicfootprints.org forward slash go premium. Anyway, I was speaking to one of the doctors a few months ago and they mentioned to me, well, I asked them, you know, why don't you try getting into health tech? There are so many opportunities within health tech. And their response was, what's health tech? So I was really gobsmacked simply because, you know, health tech for me sounds, you know, it's ubiquitous. I am right in the slap bam mid- middle of it. I've got a lot of networks. I, you know, I've, I've advised in health tech. Um, but what I have underestimated is that a lot of doctors, particularly if they're working in the public sector and purely focused on clinical work, may not have had any real exposure or understanding as to what that means. And if you're one of those people, do not worry. <laughs> um, it's fine. You are not alone. And if I wanted to describe what health tech was, I would say it is healthcare which is leveraged by digital solutions. And in the future, my prediction is health tech is just going to become health again. Like you can't have one without the other, seriously. So this leads us to today's interview with Michael Watts, who is a junior doctor and progressed through a really interesting journey to become a co-founder of a software development company called Bloom Health. So this is someone who, you know, clinical medicine was not an engineer, was not a developer, but now like leading a company. So we'll find out more about how he actually made that transition. But the episode is going to be focused on how do you translate an idea that you might have of solving problems on the wall, for example, or a solution that you're thinking of for problems that we see every day, how do you take that and leverage it using technology? And this is a question that lots of doctors face, but really struggle to actually address because it's not easy. So it's not easy. Anyway, before before you listen to this, make sure that you subscribe to this podcast leave a review of this podcast and 
make sure you continue listening and stay in touch with us and make sure you connect with me on LinkedIn and you can find me a Baina a-b-e-y-n-a there's only one abena in this world pretty much so uh it shouldn't be difficult i'm the bubba's jones one just in case on to the show let's face it burnout amongst doctors is sky high and we're actively seeking other ways to make the most of our transferable skills beyond the usual career pathways Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. I'm your host, Dr. Abena Bubbers-Jones, and I'm on a mission to connect one million doctors across the world with the best in diverse career opportunities. Hey, so we have Michael Watts today. Welcome to, I don't know, the podcast, Disrupting Doctors' Careers. Um, so I want to introduce Michael because I met him through LinkedIn, like I meet a lot of doctors these days, so they get out of the house as much as I used to. Um, <laughs> but he's also an NHS clinical entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, re- you know, waving the flag for entrepreneurialism in healthcare and has a really interesting background of how he's progressed from doctor life to business life mm-hmm. in health tech with a capital T. So I'm yeah. doing all the things today. Okay. So um, what we're going to focus on for today's conversation is really addressing a question that doctors face or they come up to me with, which I can't always strictly answer, is how do you turn your idea into tech? And usually, like, it's a health tech-related idea. So why tech? We all know, you know, tech is a sexy word at the moment. Um, and it, it can really help you scale a really good solution. But let's kind of dive a little bit deeper into that as actually what is that process like? We know a lot of doctors in particular are, like, just killing it with health tech companies they founded themselves. None of these people used to actually work in tech, but they are leading tech companies. So how do they get from... I've got an idea to, oh my God, my company's worth billions and I'm influencing millions across the world. So without further ado, welcome, welcome, Mike. Thanks for joining this conversation. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. So let's start with you and Bloom Health. Mm-hmm. So tell us a bit about Bloom Health before we start. Okay, so um, Bloom was founded off the back of a, uh, an idea that we had. So um, it was myself and two co-founders, um, between us, there was a doctor, a software engineer, and a UX designer. Sounds like the start of a really bad joke. Um, and together, <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> we, uh, we we had we had a few ideas, and we we came together and uh, and tried to execute one of them. And it re- we realised that we it it needed so much funding, it was just never going to work. It was a baby app in a nutshell. Oh, you took one second video of your baby every day, and then you could also rec- record all the things in the red book. Basically, just giving parents control of their child's um, sort of first year of life. But we needed loads of funding for it and realized, actually, this is really, really hard. You know, we would it was just as the pandemic was hitting. There was, you know, nobody was there. There was no support infrastructure other than things like the Clinical Entrepreneur Program and things that were already around and still being able to maintain themselves through the the pandemic. And so actually we said, why don't we just focus on trying to enable people to be able to deliver digital solutions through COVID? 
So we were founded in the pandemic. We know nothing else other than remote working and, you know, trying to support people that are, you know, incredibly busy. So we found that it, Bloom has become an enabler for digital health innovation. We support solo entrepreneurs. We support NHS trusts actually turn ideas to reality by being flexible to their needs, being flexible to their time commitments, being flexible to their financial status. So, um, and because of that, we've been able to have some really impactful projects that we've been able to work on and I think um, one of the things that COVID has done is it's been able to break down um, into a more granular focus you know what does it take to, to to prove a concept and I think if you can prove a concept you stand yourself in really good stead and obviously we'll delve a bit deeper into what proof of concept actually means because I think that's the problem we don't actually know what proof of concept means um, so all we aimed at was really getting people from that zero to one you know proving that concept so that they can then fly whether they fly with us or not you know we hope they do but um, you know that's not something that we commit them to so yeah we've 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 really we've only been around for a few years we've been focused on um sort of delivering um highly impactful software as a service for digital health and also making sure that it's nhs ready so making sure it's compliant making sure that it, you know we understand the regulatory field because obviously there's no point building something that's not clinically safe so obviously being a doctor by background that is the uh, has been the sort of usp if you were um, when compared to um software dev houses I think I think that's really great. You've mentioned quite a few things I really want to pick your brains about within that. And let's step back to you mentioned that you had an idea for a baby app uh, converting the Red Book for all of you that in the UK that may know the Red Book is like childhood um, immunizations and growth charts and all that jazz for your kids as they grow. Um, so why why did you what how did that come up as an idea in the first place? Like why was it important to you and your team? We were at a hackathon and I think one of the um challenges was around uh, vaccinations in third world countries for, for months. Going back, how did you get to this hackathon? So I'm I literally joined... walking you back because a lot of doctors yeah. are like Wait, you went to a hackathon? Like, well, yeah, hackathon? Yeah. <laughs> How did you even know about this hackathon? <laughs> well, I talked to the story of this it, hackathon. It like, is a good point, actually, because yeah. I can't. I don't know if I could actually put my finger on where this all started, but I think right. it all started at Doctorpreneurs, which is a right. really nice community um, of, of people like me, you know, medical student at the time, junior doctors, everyone from sort of um, wanting to join university to actually consultants or retired have joined this community. And there was... Uh, I just started to join these communities, subscribe to newsletters, just listen to what was happening in the industry. Uh, this was like 2017. And um, and just learn from other people, watch them um, present and go to conferences. It's great when you're a student because it's relatively cheap. But um, so, so I just started to... Uh, immerse myself in this community that was at the time you know wasn't the normal thing to do you know like the uh, it's very much uh, recognized now as you know clinical entrepreneurism is 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 a thing whereas back then it was kind of like okay you're, you're a group of sort of people that want to do something a little bit different and you don't quite know what that difference is <laughs> but that's what you're trying to solve and so I started to go to these things I went to one of these um startup schools and there was a hackathon there where one of the workshops was to solve a problem and so a hackathon is basically you have a short amount of time to solve an issue uh, with a range of people a team and so we came up with an idea that was um, we were going to support third world um, we were going to support parents in third world countries uh, with their vaccination reminders through sms uh, and then someone came along to us and said it's a great idea actually 
but you're going to need loads of funding. Do something in the UK and then do that as a separate phase. So that's where Bloom Baby came from. We actually had a, um, you know, sort of what I would now see as a phase four project or phase three, phase four project which was, you know, really impactful. Um, but actually someone told us to bring it back to, you know, what can you deliver here that can generate enough credibility and presence to actually then go and do something internationally that is going to make a, an even bigger difference than you're already doing in the UK. So effectively, it, it was about learning before trying uh, and doing. Um, but then actually a lot of the learning that I did was whilst doing. So I think it's about trying something that to you feels right and it has a clear focus. Um, there was no particular reason that we focused on um, parent tech. Uh, we just found an opportunity. And when we looked into it a bit deeper, actually we realized there was a gap in the market. So um, that gap, as far as I understand, still remains unfilled. So yeah, Bloom Baby was really that sort of... Um, opportunity but with covid hitting around the time that we were looking to start the project uh, or you know start to go live with testing um it just it became more of a, a want and not a need and i think that was the other thing that we recognized is that there were more immediate needs through the pandemic that we had to address uh, recognizing our skills and and bloom baby wasn't that so unfortunately it didn't um take off but it's still in the armory it's still waiting to be to be produced it's just waiting for its waiting for that right time and, and, and opportunity so i mean i think i think that's great because it demonstrates that i mean a lot of this is about courage as well as like stepping outside of the box and moving towards what feels right to you at the time and you're never going to have the full answers you're never going to know whether it's going to be like your life forever no one ever knows that but actually going into a room and collaborating with people you don't know mm -hmm. goes against your kind of initial, you know, urges. So I think, I think it's fantastic that you managed to create something hugely valuable within that. And it kind of gave you a blueprint to say, well, what can I do next? Yeah. Right. Um, so I'd, I'd love to hear a bit more from you um, about your role as a doctor in these multi-professional tech teams so what did you notice when, in that hackathon when you were first working with, um, you said a UX designer and a programmer? Um, mm. So what, what was the first thing you noticed? Like what kind of value did you bring to that team? So I think the, the, main, the, the main thing that we noticed was that our skills were complementary. And I think that's one of the important learning points from this kind of idea to reality is recognizing what you bring to the table uh, and what others bring to the table and, and uh, ensuring there is no overlap. Because, you know, I've always bump into, you know, I'll have like four medical students come up to me and say, I've got this really good idea. Will you help us get it off the ground? And I'm like, wait a minute, there's four of you with one idea. Um, you know. But as a doctor in that scenario, what did you yeah. bring to the table? So I would say that it's about those clinical insights, that finding those opportunities, finding those problems to solve them. You know, tech, technical or software engineers have great capability to be able to increase efficiencies through software development. But actually applying that clinically is, is really difficult to do because there's ways in which we have to do things as a healthcare professional to provide a service. So I think it was understanding the system is the first thing. So understanding how the NHS works is really difficult um, for people outside of healthcare professions. Um, but then also being able to uh, have enough insight to be able to say, I can see where there's 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 holes that need filling and this is how we fill it with that digital solution. So that was really um, how we complemented one another between technical team and non-technical team, which was effectively me. 
I think that's fantastic. And going back to your comment about proof of concept, do you find that it, working in a collaborative way and with your clinical insights as a, as a doctor, it's much easier to then prove it? That makes any sense? Sure. It is. I mean, one of the main barriers to innovation is imposter syndrome and the feeling of, you know, um, effectively being a fraudster and not being in that position to be able to implement change. So that's imposter syndrome by definition, I guess. But yeah, so having that credibility of being a doctor and saying, you know, I know this process manually and now I have a digital version that is going to save time, improve patient experience and actually save money because of those two first things for the NHS. That's still having an impact, but it's having an impact in a way that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do clinically. You know, we are all still providing impact to the NHS. It's about how you deliver that impact. Um, So, you know, for some people that is, um, you know, seeing uh, so many patients in a clinic to some that is being a medical director of a trust and to, to myself, it was about being able to provide a digital service to impact on as many people within a population as possible. So, yeah, that was really where um, having that idea around proof of concept and actually how big is the problem? That was one of the things that I would focus on first um, before actually thinking about the solution. So, Mike, um, I really appreciate your insights on this. And um, let's go through like a very common scenario that doctors tend to face when they have an idea. So let's create an avatar I love creating avatars mm-hmm. <laughs> for storytelling yeah. so we we have um Syra right so Syra is a doctor and Syra has like an amazing idea um which is she's working in Obs and Gynae and basically the idea is um she's noticed that the wait lists are considerably long and patients aren't getting in for their gynae operations uh within you know, within six weeks, six to eight weeks. And actually she feels that there are the solutions to get them down to two weeks, especially those that really could need, uh, those benefit from uh, an operation sooner. So like, for example, those that have heavy periods or that kind of stuff. Anyway, so she's thinking, can we do something to improve the current systems that exist to try and get that, that wait time down? Okay. So she's got an idea. What, what would be some of the challenges she may face in exploring a tech solution for that? So I think it's understand. So the first thing is time, having the time to actually spend looking at the size of the problem. I think, you know, um, this is someone that um, probably already has a full time job and is now going to embark on pretty much more than another full time job because innovation and entrepreneurialism does engulf your life um and i think so finding the time to look into the the problem in a lot more detail what the size of the problem is is there anyone else that's already solving this problem what's happening outside of the uk that's all going to take a lot of time so that is the instant barrier right that will hit her straight away she will not have the time to be able to do this so effective time management is really important and actually do you reduce doing spending time in other things to be able to do that? That's the first thing that, that, that Siren needs to decide. Once she's decided that she's going to commit to this, who can she surround herself with to give her the insights into how she might solve that problem? So she knows how big the problem is. She's got a few ideas of how she might do this, whether it might be through you know, software as a service, you know, using some data analytics, but she's a doctor. She doesn't have those insights or she might not have those insights to good enough degree to be able to deliver a, a service. 
So actually surrounding herself with people that have those skills, going to these hackathons, going to these uh, programs that the NHS runs, such as the uh, Clinical Entrepreneur Program, uh, the other, um, there's lots of accelerators uh, in and around London and uh, other parts of the world. Speaking to the local academic health science network is always a good starting point because they will put you in touch with academics. They'll put you in touch with researchers that can go and find that problem uh, and solve it for you or with you should I say and they have the time to be able to do that and they have the funding to be able to support that as well so um, that's what they're there for is to validate a problem or a concept um, with you so that you don't have to spend all hours that God sends to be able to do that so um, finding a team finding the time to do it and then actually understanding the landscape that you're then going to have to navigate so looking into the regulatory compliance you know this is going to be handling patient data there's going to be a whole host of gdpr compliance and uh, data security cyber security issues around that um so again it's understanding this field that Syrah is now embarking on um and and then ultimately it's going to come down to cost because she's not going to be able to do this alone so where do we find funding from? Um, and that can be, you know, that this is um, quite clearly a good initiative because it's going to be saving funding for uh, NH the NHS. It's going to improve patient outcomes. So it's a really good project for public grant funding. And, um, you know, there are um, uh, sort of other funds available, local authority funds, um, private investment funds that will actually support this kind of project because ultimately it's an NHS impact project uh, and will improve the service provision uh, of that um, particular specialty. So, yeah, in a nutshell, the initial pro uh, hurdles that so I will have to cover are time, team and, um, and funding as well. Okay. as regular. I really love that time team and funding yeah i wish the, i wish the funding began with a t as well um but uh, yeah it doesn't quite work does it yeah no i think i think you've made some obviously some really valid points there and especially the first point which is essentially the market research mm -hmm. so you know we all have problems but actually most of the time that problem is either currently being sold or or solved yeah. or not that big a problem or not that urgent a problem perceived to be urgent, let's put it that way. Um, and so, so yeah, the market research thing is the most, is probably one of the most important aspects of it because you will need to then move forward to decide what is the best solution for this and then proof of concept. Yeah. And, and, you know, overall it is about commitment. It's about not just time commitment, but actually the emotional commitment in many ways. Like, because as you, as you describe, like going down the entrepreneurial route, whether that's intrapreneurial, where you're working within an organization and innovating within an organization or entrepreneurial, where you're doing it kind of off your own back from scratch, it takes a huge amount of work, a huge amount of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. um, and we're talking about, you know, time, money, family, everything, everything, because it's a huge chunk of time. Yeah. And if we're looking at timelines, I think this is something that tends to be underestimated a lot. I mean, how long, <laughs> again, it's a piece of string, mm -hmm. but from your average, say, NHS doctor who doesn't have the networks, et cetera, et cetera, to go from A to B to develop an idea to reality, mm -hmm. what would be the timeline to get like an MVP off the ground? I'm talking about a minimum viable product for those of you that don't know the acronym. Um, yeah. It, it, it it's impacted by a lot of things mm -hmm. such as you know like you say your network how much funding you have obviously will help uh, and how much infrastructure you have around proving the concept once you've got that mvp um 
generally, you know, to to if it's truly minimum viable product, so it's truly the minimum you need uh -huh. to actually take it to a position where it's live and being used, then, you know, you should be able to deliver something in six to 12 months. Now, again, that will depend on how easy it is to test it. And if, if it's in a hospital, it's going to be incredibly hard because you're going to have to demonstrate safety. You're going to have to demonstrate um, some evidence base around your proposal and your claims. But again, that's why the earlier you engage with um, academic health science networks, accelerators, they're all there to speed up that process. So, you know, you can see now there's companies that have been around for 10 to 15 years that are, have only ever only just gone live because of the complexity of the tech. And then likewise, you've got really um, sort of, you know, almost overnight uh, impact from um, solutions because they've done the minimum amount to demonstrate value. And then it's been adopted um, because it was an imminent need through either the pandemic or something else. So it is, you know, uh, generally give or take, you know, you, you have a five year plan normally with any business. Um, you should be really getting to a position where you can demonstrate value and, and, and deliver services to patients or whoever your end user is uh, within, but, you know, by the end of year one, I would say. Well, I think that's interesting because I talk about positioning here and there when it comes to doctors Mm -hmm. changing careers but also it's about the positioning of the company or the solution that mm -hmm. you're providing and posi positioning counts for everything in the sense that you know you, you have referenced the pandemic quite a few times and certain products have really flourished in the pandemic yeah. because it's been perceived as to be great use and imminent mm -hmm. whereas in others that may have been around for a while um, may not have been perceived as useful or valuable. And like a, a really basic example, telemedicine. Yeah. Pre-pandemic, telemedicine was kind of available, but seen as really hugely risky. Mm -hmm. You know, let's let's not um, put too much emphasis on that because you'll you know we'll miss things. But now, like <laughs> the significant proportion of you know, private but also public sector are relying on telemedicine to deliver standard basic healthcare. Yeah. And, it, you know, it is just the timing that is the main difference there. Right. So it is. I mean, th there's a really nice uh, as the good saying, which is um, change occurs when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. So I'll mm -hmm. say that again. Pain of change occurs when the pain, pain of, of change, <laughs> pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. So. Yes. What that basically means is when you can demonstrate that the change that you want to implement is a easier, a path of least resistance or an easier way of providing care than what currently exists, there is no reason why it shouldn't be adopted. If it's not being adopted, you're not, you're not demonstrating the pain of change easily yeah. enough. So that, that is the way that you have to think about these things. You never talk about how much it, something is going to cost within the NHS. Always talk about how much it's money it's going to save, how much it's going to improve outcomes. Because if you just demonstrate a, 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 a cost, an invoice, it, it just won't, it won't cut the mustard. It won't be acceptable because we need to be demonstrating that actually what we're offering is significantly better than the status quo. Transformational change, I think, is the key words that I'm thinking of in that. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's that's been around for a while, that word, you know, digital transformation. And I think only now do we understand, well, you know, in the certainly in the last five to 10 years, do we now know what digital transformation within healthcare truly means. And I think obviously the COVID was a, a catalyst to that, 
So I think that is something that, um, you know, has there's obviously a lot of negatives around the pandemic. But what it has done is lower that threshold to adoption, uh, which has given you know SMEs an opportunity to, to demonstrate uh, the, the value that they want to provide. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a good opportunity to go back to doctors who are doing it by themselves. Some are coding by themselves, yeah. some are bootstrapping and outsourcing companies like yourself, people like yourselves, but, um, you know, developers, mm-hmm. we know there's plenty of developers around at the moment charging um, an F load, <laughs> yeah. an F load of uh, cash. Yeah. And we don't really know as doctors what we're paying for because no one really understands uh, coding and coding comes in so many different languages these days. So I, I identify that that in particular is, is a struggle that doctors tend, yeah. or people, but doctors in particular tend to face when they're deciding what developer do I choose or pick and what's, what is right for my product. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to doctors in that situation who are trying to outsource at least at the early stage mm-hmm. um, to a developer and how to actually assess whether they're the best yeah. or their idea or not? Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult to do. Um, to find the perfect co-founder, especially like a CTO that to be, um, is really difficult because you're going to have to ask them to do things, um, you know, for free or for equity as part of your co-foundership. Um, and and that then means that you're going on a journey and, and it's probably too early to embark on that sort of commitment. Um, so um, some people like to um, demonstrate some value through a, a very simple um, sort of um, MVP or something that, you know, might even be a manual process or a, a, a semi-digitalized process. Um, so, for example, the Bloom Baby um, solution that we spoke about, actually, we started out by asking parents to send in their videos of 30 seconds and we would cut it down to one second and then we would string them together and send them back. You know, that's what we were doing to prove concept, right? That didn't cost us a penny. So there's clever ways to actually prove concept before you need that, that digital solution. So I would say, Think about whether or not you need to go straight to the corporate software system that you're asking for, because again, you're right, that does get expensive. Um, but there is always a other option and it's finding that other option that it creates the entrepreneur in you to be able to try and find a, a different way of getting to the same end result. So that's the main thing. Um, otherwise, you know, shop around, you know, explore different options, um, give it a go yourself. I've never touched um, sort of coding and, and learning how to code because uh, I focused on what I thought I was good at. Um, so I think it's about um, recognizing what you're interested in and whether you're interested in actually creating the solution or, or being part of that solution and enabling someone else to come on that journey with you. So I would always recommend a co-founding tech member that would do the first bit with you. Um, and I guess the main thing from that is I would only embark on an actual company once you've got some kind of traction uh with that person because then it saves you having to have the conversations of you know we've got this far but where do we go from here because you know we're we're, we're totally misaligned which obviously um it's always good to have those conversations up front so co-founding team member then look at you know other ways of doing um the same thing and then finally um you know just shop around and and get a good feel for the for the options that you've got and the ways how how do you identify whether your co-founding team member or chief technical officer you mentioned CTO is any good like how how do you objectively assess that it's just like um you know when we're talking about doctor recruitment how do you know if a doctor is any good and so we would know how to do that right especially medical footprints but as doctors we know what good do- good doctors look like what oh, yeah. bad doctors look like so yeah. similar in, in the engineering world 
how how does one assess when they're not familiar with software at all or hiring or what to look for what what kind of what are the kind of easy wins but the basics that they should either be asking or looking for or checking or doing their due diligence on so i think that the important thing is is experience Uh, experience is everything in software engineering from my from my understanding those that have been around in the technical space for 10 15 20 years um, they just understand what it takes to build something that is viable Um, that is a skill that it, it can be learned but actually it's part of you know, going through um, the the development process time and time again and becoming more efficient at it. So um, definitely experience is good. Um, Shared vision is always important because actually if that person is just doing this in their spare time and they're they're not moving at the same pace as you, you're never really going to be able to see eye to eye because you've got very different plans. You've got very different time commitments. You need someone that's on the same page as you that's going to give it 100% because if you're giving it 100% and they're giving it 50%, it unless you strike some kind of uh, collaborative deal, which again is part of what I was saying earlier is, you know, strike that deal at the right time, um, then, you you know, you're going to have that misalignment. So, um, but ultimately go with your gut. You know, if this person is really passionate about what you're doing, understands where your your vision is uh, from a clinical perspective, because obviously they're going to have a technical vision and it's how they instill all of that um, experience and knowledge. And that's equally, if not more important than the clinical side, they go perfectly hand in hand. So actually it is that knowledge share and it's that bouncing back and forth. If you're not getting that, then that is a red flag that actually this person is doing this because they feel that they need a career change, but actually they're not sharing the vision. So, um, so again, it just go with your gut and have those conversations early, be really transparent with one another. And, um, you, you know, you'll, you'll always find a, a solution to, to any kind of problem that you come across. And if you aren't finding solutions, chances are it's not going to be sustainable. What happens if you get it wrong? What are the kind of outcomes that one might experience? <laughs> I mean, getting it wrong is like standard. It's a standard you're pretty much statistically likely to get it wrong on the first go, second go, third go, fourth go. But yeah, what what kind of challenges could doctors face when they are going down that journey? Yeah. How so do they th- best mitigate them? I think I think um the best way to mitigate so the, obviously the um it depends on how severe the, the critical incident is. Um, you know, you can go anywhere from falling to failing. I hate the word failure because I feel like even if you fail, you've not failed, which is why I call it falling. And I can't remember, I think it was Simon Sinek that said it's about falling, not failing. So um, it's about those falls and being able to fall fast and get back up and move and do something differently. So the more time you spend on the ground, chances are the more uh, you're going to, the less likely you are going to be able to get back up and carry on. So um, the best way to mitigate that is by is by looking ahead of you and looking at what what the what the future looks like you know are you getting the clients that you thought you were getting um is your resource costing effective is everyone generating enough value for what you need to be able to do um you know is this actually you know are there other people in the market that are now doing what you're doing and you didn't foresee that was going to happen six twelve months ago so if unless you have that spatial awareness quite literally you will fall so um it's it's really about understanding you know what's coming up what the future looks like as well as what you've learned previously and being able to 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 always keep that on on track and being reactive is everything in as an sme you know you can be proactive you can try and prevent these things but noticing that something is about to go wrong and then trying to 
hate this word pivot before you hit it is 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 really important but also um you know staying reactive to change you know we 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 manage change on a day-by-day basis whereas i know corporate organizations might manage change in a week or a month so um it is about staying reactive to needs and clients and being able to make sure that you always have um that kind of um that safety in front of you to to try and prevent any falls brilliant um as doctors we aren't used to failing stroke falling (laughs) it's just not really in our vocabularies i mean even since we were at school we've spent our time passing exam after exam after assessment after you know even i don't know i i probably graduated a while before you but I remember we had negative marking for guessing <laughs> questions, mm-hmm. things like that, right? And so our level of risk taking is like, you know, fairly high. Like we don't take risks or yeah. like, and so actually in, in order to be a doctor and go into building a business, entrepreneurialism, all of that jazz, you're actually working against your inner you are you are and you're fighting that person that you you know you know so well which is you know you everything is evidence-based everything is written in 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 the books and actually you're doing things now that has never been done before because if it has been done before please stop yeah. doing it because the chances are it's not going to work again because there's no point reinventing the wheel so yeah it's totally at risk and it is about how do you manage that risk but that is something that we as clinicians are good at is managing risk mm-hmm. um, you know um, putting things in place to actually mitigate risk you know we always safety net our patients because we know yeah. that there's always a risk and yeah. so um you know it is about using those skills as a clinician effective communication working as a team and managing risk that actually you can transfer over to that commercial world and that impact that you want to be able to provide in a different way so um there are a lot of skills i would say that there's a lot to be learned uh, and there are effective ways of learning it um through academia or through accelerators but ultimately it is a, a, a it's it's polar opposite i can't i can't express how different a world it is but um you know they, they both they both have um their sort of um alignments which is is, is great 100 and this is why doctors actually have great potential in being incredible incredible health tech founders so if you're listening and some of this resonates and you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable but excited it's for you uncomfortable is great (laughs) (laughs) discomfort is good because it means you want it do you know what i mean it's like um you know if you have that drive because it's not right you'll you'll do something about it 100 percent. well thank you so much mike it was a really insightful interesting conversation um and obviously the next bit is the call to action or the call to contact if people want to get hold of you Please tell sure. tell us what's the best way of reaching out to Michael Watts. So, yeah, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, it is just Michael Watts. Um, ha- take a look at the Bloom uh, website as well. That's just bloomhealth.co.uk. You can see the wider team. So, obviously, the technical team are there. And so, go and chat to them about the techie stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's um, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm always at conferences. I like to publish um, conferences and funding on my LinkedIn. I try and use it as a, uh, as a, as a, a, a way of actually sharing knowledge rather than just posting about me all the time. Yeah, but I also want to hear a bit about your football club. Oh, which football club? How many have you got? (laughs) 
<laughs> How many do you work with? As in which? Oh, the one I support or the one I work with? What? Both. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm a Forest fan, which is obviously a good time to be a, a Forest fan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do. Um, I've done a few other bits and bobs as a sort of um, portfolio junior doctor. Um, so I am the uh, academy doctor at Peterborough United, which is great. Um, so, so I do that sort of ad hoc, which is quite nice. Um, it's mainly weekends again, which is, uh, you know, fits into my schedule well. But that's because I've always been interested in sports and exercise medicine, really. So it's just keeping those interests going through everything. And, and you're still doing some other clinical work on the side yeah. as well, right? Still, still working in acute medicine, yeah. So everyone who's listening as a doctor, if you think you can't have it all, you can have it all. <laughs> you definitely take can a break, yeah. <laughs> make sure you take breaks because yeah it, you know time management is key time management yeah. is absolutely everything but um you know you've got you've got to correlate that to your drive as well 100 that's, that's a really great way to end this so anyway thank you so much for your time mike and uh, for those of you listening watching please stay tuned for some really amazing interviews and further solo muses from me thank you so my take home for that was time, team and funding. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I hope you feel that address today's question, which is how to turn a health tech idea into reality. Yes, it is friggin' hard, but if you have the network, if you have the passion, if you have the commitment to solve the problem that you're trying to address, um, then you will succeed, but just be prepared for failure after failure after failure or falling as Michael likes to call it. If you have any further questions, please feel free to reach out to Mike through Bloom Health and don't forget to tune in to our next episode.